0: Good morning. My name is Noelin. I'm a member here, and I'll be doing a scripture reading. Uh, If you'd like a copy of the Bible, we have Bibles on the table behind. They are free, so feel free to grab a copy and keep it as a gift to to you. We'll be reading from Matthew 15, um, chapter 15, verse 1 through 20, so follow along with me in your Bibles on the screen behind me. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God? Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, "These people honor me with their lips, But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the, what, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of God.
1: Well, good morning, church. It's great to be back with you. If you're new, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here, and we are walking through all of Matthew's gospel. And today, Jesus gets into this debate about hand-washing and it seems like I don't know maybe you're reading this and you're thinking like what could possibly be more irrelevant to me today and I hope we'll see by the end of this few things are, are more relevant than this discussion that Jesus has with the Pharisees. There's a uh, an author her name is Gia Tolentino some of you may have read her work she's a staff writer for the New Yorker a uh, really astute social commentator And a few years ago, she came out with a book called Trick Mirror. It's a series of essays. And her first essay in there, it's titled The Eye in the Internet, I believe. And she is talking about how human nature intersects with how the Internet works. And here's what she writes. As a medium, the Internet is defined by a built-in performance incentive. The main purpose of it is to make yourself look good. Online reward mechanisms beg to substitute for offline ones, meaning it's easier to feel rewarded online than with real people in real life. Then she says, This is why everyone tries to look hot on Instagram and Virtue Signal on Twitter. Posting photos from a protest against border family separation, as I did while writing this, is an expression of genuine principle and also inescapably some sort of attempt to signal that I am good. So what's she describing here? What Gia's describing is what we can call in, outside-in living, outside-in living. And outside-in living is when, you, when we lack a deep center, a sure conviction where we can say, I'm loved, I matter, I'm good. When we lack this deep center, we go outside to get that validation, Okay, so it may be through our physical attractiveness, it may be through our smarts or our wit, our competence, and then we, we need other people to validate these things about ourselves. And Gia's point is, the internet, I mean, far more than in person, is such, such an easy way to do that. That's why even when we're doing something good, we want to post about it because we need other people to know that we're doing something good. And if you're a Christian and you're here thinking like, ah yes, those people, those people without God who need to look you know to the outside for to fill that deep center well you know I have God I don't need to do that and Jesus here in this passage he gets into a conversation with very good very religious very churched people and he challenges them with the fact that they too are living this outside in kind of life which is so opposed to the kingdom of God And so let's look at this idea of outside-in living and contrast it with inside-out living, which Jesus offers under these three headings. First, we'll see, number one, the problem of outside-in. Number two, how Jesus rescues us from outside-in living. And then number three, the inside-out life. Okay, so first, the problem of outside-in. Number two, how Jesus rescues us from outside-in. Number three, the inside-out life. Okay, so first, number one, the problem of outside ends, starting in verse 1, chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do, you, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And you read this, and if you've been reading Matthew, what's not surprising is that the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, it's not surprising they have a problem with Jesus. This has been happening since the first day they met. What is surprising is you ask the question, Why are they taking issue with his disciples' table etiquette? And when you read Old Testament law, God gave his people a set of procedures for entering the temple to worship him. And there was a law in there for the priest, when he would go into the temple, to wash his hands and his feet before going before God. And this makes sense. So in my prior job, before I worked in the church, I oversaw staff hirings and intern hirings for my company. And one day, we were looking to hire a new intern, and he comes in. He's college age, and it looked like and smelled like he had just walked in from a block party. And I was like, are are you serious right now? It was the quickest interview ever. And Why? Because if you're going to something or before someone who's important, I hope you get clean, whether it's for your first date or a job interview or whatever. And so this was at the heart of this law. If you're going before God, it is fitting to get clean. But what the Pharisees did here is in their efforts to honor Scripture, which we do need to give them credit for, in their efforts to honor Scripture, they went beyond Scripture and they said, okay, hmm, if one washing for one person is good, All the washings for all the persons must be better. And so they created this list of all these washings that people needed to do, including before they ate. And they added it to a list of other do this and don't do that that became the tradition of the elders, which they refer to here. And over time, what happens is is the Pharisees are not living out of love from God, but they're living according to their list. An outside-in list that says, if I do this, if I'm this kind of person, then other people are impressed with me, God's impressed with me, and I can know I'm love-significant, fill in the blank. And ever since this day, everybody has made a list where we say, if I'm this kind of person, I know I'm okay. And like the Pharisees, when we make this list, and we all have one, It leads to all kinds of issues. And so first, what's one of the things it can lead to? It can lead to insecurity because when God's warmth toward you and his compassion toward you is contingent based on how you're keeping the list, your spirituality spirituality and sense of self is up and down. So when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm doing well with that secret behavior that I don't tell anybody else about, God loves me. I love me. When I'm not reading my Bible, when I'm not doing well with that thing I don't like to tell others about, God doesn't love me. I, I don't love me. A key distinction of outside-in relig- religiosity contra Christianity, which Jesus offers, is outside-in religiosity is never sure. You don't have that steady confidence that comes from God delights in me regardless of what I'm doing on a given day because you're always insecure. So first, it creates insecurity. Second, outside and lists tend to make us unloving. We get very impatient and maybe even condemning toward people who aren't living according to our list, and of course our list is the right one. And we, we do this, it can be anything. So take worship music style, or how we worship, and One group sees a bunch of people jumping up and down and throwing their hands in the air at worship, and you go, wow, you're really emotional. Like, you must not have any theological grounding. And then that group turns around and says, oh, yeah, we're just standing rigid during worship, and your hands aren't even any higher than the carry the TV position. Like, does your heart even love God? You know, maybe if you get up to the hold my baby position or most the Simba position, there you go. Like, now you really love God. We We do this or take this dynamic that this happens, and it happens in a lot of groups, but I think it can particularly happen in church teams or groups, is (laughs) there there are two kinds of people in the world, I think. And there are task people and there are people people. And task people value efficiency and productivity. Let's get it done. Let's do it streamlined. And people people value relational time. Okay, so I want to spend 30 minutes chit-chatting with you before the meeting starts, and then I want to chit-chat afterward. If I'm working on something, you can come in my desk at any time. It's a safe space. Just sit down. It doesn't matter if I blew through this deadline because I want to care for you and talk with you. These two types of people clash, by the way, and what happens is both sets of values are good, efficiency, right, productivity, being relationally warm toward other people, the problem comes in is when we take these values we have and make them a list item. And now the task person views the people person not just as different, but as negligent or lazy or undisciplined. And the people person views the task person as like, well, you're really cold-hearted. You don't care about people. See, So it's, it's really easy. Just like look at those things and follow the breadcrumbs of things that you really tend to get impatient about in other people. And odds are high you've made it, a list item. Okay, so it's hard to be loving when we're living, according to an outside enlist. list. And then number three, enlists tend to make us far from God. Because when we obey God's law, when we learn about the Bible, in, or, in order to get God to like me, in order to get other people to be impressed by me, Now I'm, it's leverage, right? I'm doing this to make God love me. And there's there's little warmth and humility that comes from being relationally close to God. This is why Jesus says in verse eight in his critique of the Pharisees, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Like, yeah, you're obeying, you know a lot about the Bible, but your heart is far from me. And it it may be best to illustrate this through what it can feel like when you encounter an outside in person versus an inside out person. You go to a Bible study with, and there's an outside-in person there, and you leave thinking, wow, that person knew a lot about the Bible. They had all the answers. I could never do what they do. You leave a Bible study filled with inside-out people, and you leave feeling like, what a great group. I can't, God's word is amazing. See the difference? Or you let down an outside-in person, and you walk away from that conversation thinking, oh my gosh, I, I just really hope I can pull myself up I really hope I can pull myself together if you when you let down an inside out person and you talk about it, you leave thinking, What a great savior they must know to extend grace to me in this way because when you're inside out right and your your heart is close to God, other people feel close to god's heart as well when they're around you because your heart is close to God okay so this this is why in this this is one of the most common plagues in the church is this outside-in religiosity that can make us very insecure, unloving, and actually far from the heart of God. Okay, so how does Jesus rescue us from outside-in living? Okay, the default mode of the human heart. And in verse 10 through 20, he's getting into this debate on Jesus is refuting the notion that humans are basically pure and only become corrupt through external influences. And he says this in verse 17 and 18. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Or you can translate that passes into the stomach and passes into the toilet or the latrine. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. So he's using provocative language. He's contrasting what the excrement that goes into a toilet with the kinds of things that come out of our heart. And he says there's something polluted about your heart. And this is offensive in a be-true-to-yourself, you-do-you culture that often assumes our hearts are basically pure. And so hear what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying each of your hearts and my heart is as bad as it could possibly be. Okay, there's the image of God, which Jesus is fully on board with, which means each of us has a dignity because we're made in God's image. And each of us, each of our hearts have elements of God's character because we're made in his image. However, because of sin, which has impacted all of humanity, Jesus is saying each heart is also more diseased than you like to believe. See, and If you're not really on board with this, maybe you believe that humans are pure and are corrupt through external influences, just there are a number of plays we could go, but just one thing to consider is with all respect, it's hard to have that view if you've spent significant time with children. Okay, because you can have spend a week with a group of six month olds to five year olds who have been raised in like the best possible home, and you will quickly see. That there is a entrenched me-first impulse in each child, right? Children are awesome. They're made in God's image. But like you do not need to teach this to them, this me-first impulse. In fact, much of child raising is about curbing that me-first desire that every single person has. And this is what Jesus is saying is this me-first attitude that every person ha- it, it leads to all the pain in the world, the resentment you carry, the lack of forgiveness you extend, the selfishness you have, most of all, the sin under every sin, which is every person's desire to be their own Savior and Lord and to reject God. And so he's saying if you, the answer can't be looking outside of yourself, right, to get that deep center, but also the answer to that deep center, it can't be from, it can't be looking within because if you're willing to actually see what's down there, it's going to be hard to handle. What's there? This is why, by the way, a a number of people who start counseling don't see it to a successful end because you get to a point where you're just, you need to do the work of looking at the things that are in you and most people just aren't willing to do it. And so what we see here is, okay, so how does Jesus rescue us from outside in? Okay, don't look out, don't look in, instead look up, look to Jesus. And because here, while Jesus gives a more searing diagnosis than any religious founder, okay, your heart has sewage in it, that's pretty pretty strong. Okay, he's also more powerful and loving than any religious founder, because as God, what he says is, I'm not going to leave you here just to fix yourself, but like a good surgeon, I diagnose you, and then I, I heal you. And here's how Jesus heals you, okay, and gives you this deep center. First, number one, objectively, he cleanses you. Okay? He, he cleanses your heart, and it's hard to see. We certainly see in other places in scripture, but Jesus hints at it here in verse 11, where he says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person. If you read Mark's account of this, there's also a note that says, By saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. You think, okay, well, what? what's the deal with that? And for Jesus to say this, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out, this is a bombshell for first century Hebrews. Because, for millennia, they had been following the Levitical law that God gave his people, in which God said, okay, here are the foods you can eat. They're clean. Here are the foods. Don't eat this, this, and this, because they'll make you unclean. Getting back to that principle before of helping us remember that we need to have pure hearts before going into God's presence. But now Jesus says, oh, "Those clean laws. It doesn't really matter. No foods can make you unclean. And why is he saying this? It's not because these clean laws no longer matter, or it's not because they never mattered. It's because... The thing that these clean laws pointed to, the need for purity of heart, has now been fulfilled in me. Because I'm here, Jesus, you, know, you, you now can have a pure heart before God. And how Jesus accomplishes this is by living a pure life. Know me first ever about him. And then on the cross, he's treated as a defiled heart deserves. Okay, that's what happens on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus absorbs Any guilt and shame you carry, and then he gives you his record, his period of heart, so that you have permanent, pure access to God. And here's what this feels like as you grow in this. So uh, some years ago, me and Kelsey were going to attend the promotion ceremony of her father, who was in the military, and he was raising to a, a very high rank in the military, and so we're getting ready to go to this ceremony in the Pentagon, and you know, there are multi-star generals there, and you know, the who's who in, in the military, probably a lot of your bosses' bosses. And, you know, people that are dressed, you know, tuxes, suits, gowns, and her, one of her brothers, who, brilliant mind, and one of those people who just sometimes misses what needs to happen in ordinary life, shortly before the ceremony, he's like, oh shoot, all I have is a pair of dress pants and this t-shirt, and we're like, okay, so, you know, we scramble our resources, we find a pair of shoes it's you know, one size off, we find him a shirt, a tie, a jacket. He's like, oh, he breathes a sigh of relief and he's able to walk into this ceremony. And life without Jesus often feels like we're walking around this pre- prestigious ceremony with these really important people. Everybody else is dressed looking good. And I'm here in an old t shirt and maybe a pair of dress pants or whatever the equivalent is for a, a woman who doesn't have a dress on. And you're just thinking, oh my goodness, I now I need to create this outside in list to prove to people that I, I I deserve to be here and I don't want to be exposed. But Jesus comes and he gives you his his attire so that God's warmth toward you never fluctuates based on how you're living. Okay, and some of you just some of the things you guys are wrestling with us need to hear this. Okay, when you do that thing, resort back to that thought pattern, we're just like, I must be worthless. In that moment is when God moves toward you to renew you and forgive you because he loves to move toward Jesus and He moves toward you as He moves towards Jesus. Okay, so he cleanses you objectively. Subjectively, he does take your heart that's impure, and he, gives you a, he actually gives you a new heart. And here you have to zoom out to see broader biblical teaching about this. And one place we can go is the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 36... God is speaking to his people who they're in captivity by the Babylonians and they got there because of their wayward hearts and God speaks to them to give them hope. And here's what he says and and listen for language of cleanliness and hearts that we've been looking at in Matthew, verse 25 through 27, words should also be on the screen. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and I will give you a new heart and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And what he is promising here to Israel, this is also a promise to us, which is true in Jesus. And so hear what God contrasts. He contrasts a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. And so think about stone. When you push stone, it moves away from you. When you push flesh, it, your finger goes in. When you speak to stone, your voice bounces off. When you speak to flesh, flesh receives what's spoken to it. And so what God's saying is, before the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart, before you receive Christ as Savior, you have a heart of stone, which means when you sense God's presence or voice, you move away from him. When you hear God's commands, you think those things sound awful. I don't want to go near them. A heart of flesh, however, is a Heart that's freed from guilt and shame, is sensitive to God's presence, and loves God's word and trusts him. And so how does Jesus pull you from outside in and into inside out living, right, with this new heart? Is first he cleans you, so you have that deep center, no longer needing to prove something, because now you have the resume of Jesus, and you look like Jesus. But also subjectively, you now have a heart of flesh that over time grows more confident in God's delight in you. You grow to love doing God's all. You grow to become more sensitive to God's presence with you over time. And so what does this feel like on the ground? Let's just do some case studies in here. Like what does the inside out life look like when you've received this new heart and being cleansed by God? So take Sin. Both outside-in and inside-out people sin daily. The difference is how they respond to it. Okay, so the outside-in person, when they sin, they either deny it, deny that it's sin at all, or they think, oh my goodness, I can't talk to God about this, or I'm going to try to hide from church, hide from the Bible, because what's God going to think of me? And I, I certainly can't talk about it or confess it to other people, because I need them to be impressed by me. The inside-out person says, I can't believe God delights in me. And even though I continue to resort to this thought pattern, this behavior, he actually, when I go, he moves toward me and loves to renew my spirit and forgive me. And I can confess it to other people because other people in the church are a gift. God gives me to walk with me as I grow and look more like Jesus. See the difference? How about the response to God's law? We hear God's commands in Scripture. Outside-in person reads or hears God's law and thinks, oh my goodness, all Right, so here's the must-do, here's the must-not-do, so I gotta do the must-do, and man, those must-not-do look really fun, and so why do other people get to do them, but I'm not able to? The inside-out person says, God's law is an expression of his gracious character. And when I walk in his commands, I begin to look more like Jesus, and everybody around me benefits from it. See the difference? Number three, how about insecurity and feelings of self-contempt or self-loathing? Outside in says, I need other people to be impressed by me. I need you to like me. I need you to need me. I need you to thank me. And criticism feels like a death because if I'm criticized, suddenly now it's not just you're giving me an opportunity to grow, but you're critiquing my very center and my whole foundation's gone. And so I'm either going to get aggressive toward you or grow cold toward you. The inside out person says, I still can't believe I'm God's child and he loves me. And if you're impressed by me, that's really funny. I hope you're impressed by Jesus, though. And if you're criticizing me, this, this of course you are, because I'm a work in progress, and now I have, there's probably something in there, even if you're only 5% right, that I can learn from and grow in. And when you learn to walk this way the in the inside-out kingdom that Jesus gives and only Jesus gives, it gives you freedom. And I saw this this past week. So I, uh, there was this, it was early evening this past week, and I went on a walk with my son, one of my sons, and it it was one of those perfect days. And he's on his bike, and I'm walking next to him as he's on his bike, and it's, you know, crisp fall air, leaves crunching under tire and foot. And we're talking and laughing about how silly dogs are and how silly geese are and why do people have pumpkins with faces on them, you know, on their steps in front of their house. And we round a bend around this lake and suddenly he stops and he looks at me and he says, like heart just his head his face just bursts forward with a smile and he says, Daddy, I love taking walks like this when it's just me and you And I said, I love this too. And it struck me that this was was a heart who he wasn't concerned with what he did earlier that day. He wasn't concerned with how other people were perceiving him. It was a heart that was pulsing with a self-forgetful joy because it was a heart that knew it was loved. And this is what Jesus came to give you. A heart that knows its love, that brims forth in self-forgetful joy and love for other people. And it takes time to grow in, and the road is often messy and painful. This road is called discipleship, and this is what our church is all about, is growing as disciples. But it does grow over time, until one day you won't even have to work at it to feel it, because your faith will be sight. Let's pray.